Hey Jess. Hi Tim, how are you? I'm pretty good. I've been eating a lot of uh, lime-infused mango from Sainsbury's. Oh, mate. It's, that it's is like so nature's specific. Nature's fruit pastels, though. It's just insane. insane. I'm going to have to invest. I'm going to have to invest. That was a good way. That's a nice little recommendation to start the podcast off. How exciting. How exciting. <laughs> how are you doing? Today, people. Um, I'm doing well, other than being very cold. So if you anybody spots my hot water bottle, no, you don't. It's not there. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm all right. I don't have any lime infused mango. Um, but I am ready to talk about marketing. So we've got half of a win today. That's pretty good. What have we got today? What have we got today? Well, we didn't have much news this week, but Tim, I feel like you've managed to just sneak some news in there right at the end. So we will be talking about some marketing news. We are going to be talking about this week's video, which is about Tim's favourite topic in the world, AI, and the podcast most frequently talked about topic, AI. And we're also going to be talking about our brand of the week, which is a very cute pet insurance company, and our marketing lesson of the week from Fix Your Machine, which is all about making the most of what you've got. We're also going to be talking about kind of a win slash fail slash interesting to see the reaction to it that's happened in the marketing world this week as well so we'll jump straight in with the news tim since this is all you i'm very excited to hear about what you spotted in the last couple of days let's do it so um i mean it's not like totally directly marketing but i feel like we we spoke a bit last year about metaverse and ar vr and all that type of stuff and and i know a lot of businesses will be thinking do we need to sort of prepare for this type of stuff some really interesting news coming out from microsoft over the last couple of days they are basically scrapping from what i can gather they're scrapping all of their ar vr projects which pretty considerable given that microsoft had like contracts with the US um, Army on, you know, it's HoloLens projects and all of this. It sounds like they're scrapping it all, letting everyone go um, at the same time as investing loads more money into open AI. So it seems like at least for them, metaverse AR VR stuff is dead for now. Um, of course, there's also been some news in the last few days about Apple's AR VR headset. And apparently that is coming this year. So slightly conflicting there. But it certainly looks like marketers at the moment don't need to worry too much about metaverse and all that type of stuff um, with the tech layoffs and things happening. That Those sorts of projects seem to be ones that are being sort of nudged towards the, uh, the cliff of uh, despair. That makes sense. That's really interesting to hear that they've dropped these teams because I've been very invested in and just generally close to VR for a long time in the gaming space. <clears throat> and it feels like a really good marketing lesson here in terms of, I just don't think they knew who it was for. I think the actual purpose got really, really lost. You know, you were seeing like Facebook put out this metaverse that was just so ugly and horrible. And it was like, who is this for? Is it for gamers? Is it for people who are interested in technology and who own these headsets? Or are you trying to target your Facebook audience of like mums and nans. Like, I just feel like there was no clear, it was just like, let's just do this to do it with no clear direction. And that's why I think it's ended up with people, you know, needing to make these big layoffs because they've just been in loads of different directions. Like originally VR was a really good gaming thing. Could have been used for a lot of interesting things like therapy and all these different things. And it feels like it just got so, so lost, so lost. Um, 
So yeah. yeah. I guess in some ways it might be a bit like cryptocurrency and it's uh, potentially very powerful technology, but just struggling to find a, a use case which really resonates with an audience. It's tough, isn't it? On the whole Facebook meta metaverse thing, like Zuck has such form. I remember him saying, I don't know when it was, like 2013 or something, that mobile is the way forward. And at that point, that seemed like a crazy call because... Uh, we were we were we had analytics and it was like 80% of most website users were mobile uh, sorry were desktop and mobile just seemed like this small fringe thing and he said about the direction yeah. of facebook we're going all in on mobile and at the time that seemed way too early crazy um but you know he turned out to be totally right so i think a lot of people he had a bit of uh, a bit of credit with people he had a bit of overhang trust from those and when he said, right, we're going in, all in on Metaverse, a lot of people are saying, oh, wow, I can't really see the use cases for that. But, you know, yeah. Zuck's got form. So, and now I think a lot of people, and it looks like Microsoft included, are really thinking, uh, actually, where is the money here? Not sure. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, brings us quite well onto another piece of news that I did see that you reminded me about, Tim, which is a lot of decisions were sort of made during the pandemic. And I can see something like this metaverse that Facebook were working on being like, how can we bring close people close together when they can't see each other? Or like how people are spending way more time online for no particular reason that won't last forever, you know, the pandemic. Um, and then put loads of money into it because I saw that um, Spotify have let a lot of their podcasting team go. Um, I know that's a bit we're on a podcast, probably shouldn't be saying that, but um, I saw that there's been quite, like, I think maybe podcast listening made up, I think it was 6% of all Spotify listens in um, Q1 of some time. You can tell I just read this article about wow. five minutes ago, but um, <laughs> I know the stats are dead on, but basically Spotify made this decision based on the performance of podcasts. It felt like they went all in, expanded their teams because there was a lot more people listening to podcasts during um you know the pandemic and now that's reducing down they're having to reduce down their teams as well so i wonder if a similar thing happened with you know microsoft putting money into ar vr and it just hasn't really turned out the way they expected based on very very certain unprecedented circumstances mm -hmm. <laughs> you know so it is it is interesting to see how people are yeah going all in when maybe they shouldn't have done yeah and i think the other pressure on a lot of these tech firms and businesses in general um sort of needing to move more towards profitability and there's a sort of swing isn't there with the economy of whether you're going towards investing in crazy new outlandish things or like steady growth profitability reliable and investors are valuing one or the other depending on what else is going on in the market and how cheap um capital is and there's definite swing uh, at the moment towards you know profitability stable good quality businesses and i think yes. a lot of spotify's investments in podcasts were, were you know really quite eye-catching numbers um but yes. uh, yeah. maybe the business case wasn't necessarily there but great for joe rogan yeah. and kim k who got in while I could <laughs> yes 100% I think um Dale's left a comment while we're live making a very good point saying YouTube are hiring people and fleshing out a podcast division and I definitely think we are seeing this movement towards video podcasts which sounds really silly because it's like you know that's the point of a podcast is you listen to a podcast rather than watching a YouTube video but I know a lot of podcasts that I watch that are for more entertainment purposes than knowledge purposes I find out about them on TikTok and then I'll watch full episodes on YouTube and I like to see the people interact I like to see those facial expressions or 
you know, all these different types of things. I don't think it'll work for every type of podcast, but I think the ones that are there for entertainment purposes will really thrive on YouTube. And I think as well, Spotify added the option to add a video to your podcast uploads um, if you're the kind of person who was uploading YouTube first and then Spotify second, you could actually add a video. So maybe we're going to see a lot more video content based around podcasts, you know, and people finding out about them through reels, shorts, TikTok, Mm. And maybe that will be the ecosystem. So yeah, very, very interesting to see. So if you're a business with a podcast, definitely look into how you can maybe diversify um, your content. Could you do more video content? Could you get two people in a room and chat? There's definitely some interesting opportunities there for sure. Totally agree. This week's video, Jess, using AI in digital marketing. I'm not sure the video is actually out yet, is it? I don't know. It's... no i don't think it is we're still working on it at the moment but it's absolutely fine we can still talk about it um yeah we wanted to create a video that's kind of more of a beginner's guide there's definitely a lot of videos out there that are more to do with like just a general overview and so we decided that we wanted to um to put something together that was more of an intro more so you can learn about what it means for marketers specifically um how did you find working on the video tim i'm intrigued i absolutely love ai I love everything to do with AI. I make videos all day about AI. I've been playing with AI in my spare time, building uh, little basic models. And yeah, I love this type of stuff. I think at the moment, it's really powerful technology. And it seems like individuals haven't quite figured out. I think at the moment, we've got these AI platforms, right? Like Midjourney or, you know, OpenAI's ChatGPT and stuff like that. You can start to play with them and you can experiment with them and you can see how far they can go. I think for a lot of marketers at the moment, they're basically fun, quirky gimmicks where we can see the potential, but they haven't really found it their way into people's workflows yet. There are, of course, there are marketers and SEOs that are flooding sites full of AI generated content and, you know, bully to them, go for it. Um, I hope I hope you do okay with the helpful content update, but um <laughs> There are people that have built it into their workflow, but for, I think for a lot of people, it's just a, a sort of curiosity, let's poke at this thing and see where it goes. And I think it will really be the next generation of apps that are built on these platforms, which is where AI will become part of marketers' daily workflow. So I'm really excited for that phase. Yes, yeah, I'm really interested to see how it will go as well. I definitely started off as somebody who was not a fan of AI and I'm now starting to be converted. Definitely nothing to do with art. I'm still very angry about AI art because it's been doing very unethically. But in terms of some of the things that I have used ChatGPT for, whether that's just, um, you know, I needed some titles, so I used it to generate some titles. And even if I didn't use them, it just was one of those moments where, you know, you're try- you need to do something and your head mm-hmm. is totally empty. You can kind of use it as a springboard. Um, and yeah. that's really really nice um but what's actually happened this week is chat gpt has announced that they are um charging for it or they'll be charging for more advanced elements i was just like interested to know if you think it will be worth the price do you think that businesses will be making the decision to cut down their workforces and rather spend money on these platforms or do you think it was more appealing to them when it was free that's basically my very broad question. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a great question. I suspect, I mean, I'd love to know the percentage of users that would pay and those that don't. I suspect it would be really, really low. That I would I would guess, and this is total guess, that most of the people who are playing with ChatGPT are doing it 
purely as like a poke at this thing, see what it does, experimental thing, which to be fair is exactly what they released it on, right? They released it in beats for just people just to have a play with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think it's going to take the next level of apps that are built on top of these platforms. So when they release the when they release ChatGPT through the API, then you can build apps that use ChatGPT. Um, and I think that's when it starts becoming a bit more useful. So I don't know whether you know the the whole charging for ChatGPT seems to be a very rushed thing. They just seem to have just you know literally surveyed people one week and then they just put a price thing up the next week and allow some people to buy it. So I don't know if it's really truly part of their game plan or they're just like prodding okay. at things to see what happens. Um, but I I really do think it's going to be the next generation of apps that are built on top of these things, which is where you know it becomes a part of your daily life i think the use case that you mentioned there where you've got it sort of open and you know you're doing some titles you're trying to come up with title really struggling i just throw it at chat gpt that's a really interesting use case that's a little bit like the whole github sidekick thing isn't it where you've got you've got your your github um you, you know you're, you're writing your code and then you've got this co-pilot thing that sits there sort of auto completing and you can get it to do things and sort of work with you so it's like you plus the ai sitting next to you just sort of helping you out on some tasks and i think that's a really interesting use case i don't think people are going to be replacing jobs until it gets to the stage that you know you've got an ai salesperson who's actually trained on all of your past sales material and all of your previous sales conversations and all of your, you know, your, your documentation and everything and can actually do the job better than a human. I think it's at that point which people start losing jobs and jobs start being replaced or, you know, that person's skill then becomes in training these models or whatever. But um, I, th- I think we're okay for now. I think people are okay for now, but it's coming and it's coming probably more quickly than we expect. Yes. And I would definitely say if you're sort of holding off like doing marketing activity or hiring an agency or anything like that, just because you're like, well, maybe the AI can do it for us. I would say that's that's not the best idea. (laughs) I would say it's not quite there yet. You need to have marketing knowledge and you need to know how to use this technology. So, for example, when I was working on this video and researching it um, to write it for Tim, I found it really challenging to get the AI to do things that I wanted it to that I knew Tim knew how to get it to do. Um, and so, yeah, it was um, it was really, really interesting. And I think it takes more work than you think. It's not just doing things for you. You have to know how to phrase your questions very well. You need to know how to use these tools. And I think, yeah, it's, um, it's important. Yes, yes, agreed. I had an idea and then I saw Jason's thing and it totally left me, but yes. <laughs> Absolutely fine. Absolutely fine. I'm having a bit of a head empty day myself. Um, but yeah, we've had a couple of comments on the live stream saying, um, I mean, Dale said maybe they fed people's answers about how much they'd pay into ChatGPT, and then ChatGPT decided the price itself. Which we can hope that's not not what they did. It's not particularly the best. Well, you know, Sam Altman, ever. his original Sam Altman, sorry to cut you off. The the OpenAI CEO said, uh, sort of rather jokingly, a little while ago. When people asked him what his plans for monetizing it, he's like, well, we're just going to build an AGI, uh, you know, a general um, uh, artificial intelligence, and then ask it how to monetize itself. There we go, um, then. There we go. So, Maybe that yeah. is what they did. Maybe that <laughs> is what they did. <laughs> you have a great brand of the week. 
Jess. I do. I'm really excited about this. I came across this in an article about landing pages and it was cited as a really good, uh, having a really good landing page. And of course, um, this is, we are recording this podcast live and you can see it on our um, Exposure Ninja podcast YouTube channel. But if you're listening, I'm going to do my best to describe it to you. Um, But we have this website called Lemonade Insurance. They're mostly known for pet insurance but they are also known for some other insurance as well. But pet insurance seems to be their thing. Thank you, Tim. I was just trying to get that up on the screen, but you managed to sort that out for me. So quite a common discussion and quite a big trend that we've seen in terms of design and in terms of branding and positioning has been, let's strip everything out really basic and just go really, really simple. And I feel like Lemonade has gone down that route while also bringing back some fun and some playfulness so you have this really white landing page you know with some bright pink ctas but then you have these really really cute animated animals that have been added so you have a dog and a cat that kind of turn as you scroll down the page you have you know examples of the interface you have review stars appearing you have these kind of dynamic reviews that scroll across you have images like little cartoons being used to show you all the different like things that are covered by your insurance. And my favorite bit of the whole page is if you scroll down quite far, a little puppy appears and bashes into the CTA box to be like, hey, pay attention to this. Um, And I just thought it was just really cool. Like I, I thought it really redefined insurance as a whole. I was genuinely gutted that they're not available in the UK because I think even though I wouldn't be able to get pet insurance through them, I would have moved insurance over to them just because they look so fantastic. And then their offering is amazing. They really, really know their audience well. And the things that they've included, you know, they're telling us how fast you get your claims, how quickly, you know, that they will um, sign you up. It's just excellent. Really, really, really good. Let me go back to my notes. I'm distracted by the little tail wagging and see what else um, I had to say about it. It's just, it's just really, really sweet. Um, one thing that I really enjoyed about it is I have been on pet insurance websites before where I've wanted to insure um, more exotic creatures, namely chinchillas or rabbits. And I have to go through a whole form to find out if they actually offer pet insurance that suits me. Whereas I can see right away, we've got a dog and a cat. That's all I need to know. Now I'm like, cool, they can't insure my pet. Whereas I feel like you don't get that on other sites. This is just from a personal experience. So I feel like right away they've disqualified me. I don't need to click the get prices button. I'm not a you know, wrong customer. Um, I know right away that I don't need to do that, which I did really, really enjoyed. And also they show, they don't just tell. They could just say, get covered in seconds, claims approved in minutes. And also often when people are getting these claims and they are claiming on pet insurance, it's because they are in the vets right then. They're stressed, they're having a horrible time. They didn't expect this to happen. And now they're having to get money to pay for their beloved pet to get better essentially. And it was just really nice to see these animations showing how quick the process is and how you're gonna learn right away. Um, there's also a tiny little thing as well that their star rating thing was just really fun um, on the pet page specifically a little creature takes a bite out of one of the stars to show they haven't got quite five stars which was just a silly little thing that I enjoyed um, and it also used the in the text it said fur fam 
protect your fur fam, which I just thought was very cute and shows that they know their audience very, very well. They know that they're targeting, um, you know, people who are maybe a bit younger and who want very simple insurance that they understand how it works and how quick they're going to get everything from the start. Um, downsides I have for this website are the, the reviews. You can't click on them. They are just in, like added in by the web developers, I assume, because they've got reviews from like the App Store and other stuff. So you can't actually click through to see who these people are, although I, rec I recognize some of these. So it seems like they have some high profile people who have left them reviews on Twitter and whatnot that they've opted um, to include, which I did like as well. Now, if you were watching the podcast live, you would have seen Tim going through to some of their other landing pages on their website, which aren't quite as fun, but I still think they are, they're fine. They're okay. They have different USPs in a way than the pet one. So for instance, the pet stuff is very much, we cover all these things and we get it, the money to you really quick because you're in the vets, you know, you need the money. Whereas the car insurance one is more like, you need this, you legally, in the UK at least, you legally have to have car insurance. So the reason why you should come to us is because we're going to plant trees when you um, spend with us. And if you drive less and have less emissions, you won't pay as much. So they've definitely found this really awesome USP in terms of, we know you have to have this. We know pretty much everyone is offering the same stuff for a similar price. So here's how we are going to make it better for you. And we're going to use really nice and neat visuals and animation to communicate that to you. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about Lemonade. Very sad that they don't serve the UK because I would absolutely sign up with them in a heartbeat just because I really like the brand positioning and the stuff they have to offer. I wish my car insurance planted a tree for every time I renewed my insurance with them or charged me less the less driving I did. Like, that's awesome. So, yeah, any thoughts, Tim? Loads of thoughts, Jess, loads of thoughts. <laughs> uh, firstly, uh, just as a, you know, from a business perspective, isn't this amazing, folks? Jess is very keen to switch insurance because of the look of their website. And insurance is such a sort of, it should be such a commodity purchase, right? For many businesses, it really is a commodity purchase. This is something that nobody enjoys buying. It's painful. And the best providers previously, we thought the best way to stand out in insurance was to try and make this painful thing slightly less painful. Whereas actually lemonade makes it fun and actually, yeah. actually fun. And your sentiment is shared in the reviews. People are desperate to get their stuff insured with lemonade they love it i where do i sign up i've just signed up for this thing um it's amazing you know really people are freaking out over this and to me all they've done is they've said okay what is normal in the insurance space normal in the insurance space is very sort of corporate branding boring um safe looking and safe and professional looking is what the branding agencies would have said you know you need to look like you've been here for a thousand years and you will be here for a thousand years more yeah and absolutely. put two fingers up at it and they said right let's just do the opposite of everything else because nobody likes insurance companies let's just be completely different if in doubt stand out and you know the the tone of voice that they use their quirky friendly language is amazing just makes sense you don't feel like you're being ripped off you don't feel like you're being intimidated or they're using jargon to sort of bat you over the head or get one up on you i noticed some of the phrasing that they used around you know you've got home insurance you've got contents insurance 
they don't call it contents insurance. They just say insure your stuff, which that's, that's nice. like, yeah, that's cool, isn't it? Because nobody actually knows when you think about content, like you think, is it home or is it contents? Like, what's the difference? They're like, yes. we'll insure your house and the stuff in it. Like, great, okay, got it. Yeah, yeah, it's just it plain English. So well, yeah, yeah, and I think this is what a lot of brands are realizing now. We have this conversation so often; it gets brought up in a lot of our videos and just content in general. Is that don't over jargon it like people realistically aren't saying the things you think they're saying like if I was like oh I need to insure my stuff in my house like that's why I would say I wouldn't be like I need to insure the contents of my house um I noticed you flagged up a comment by Dale that um mm. that's just come up saying about reminds me of Optimus Energy more likely to pick them based on brand than on price I completely agree I'm with Optimus Energy and I love them I genuinely have a lot of affinity for them and genuinely care for them as a business um and it's like they've been doing these um nights where you try to use less energy for an hour and I based my work day around being able to take that hour and not be using my pc literally lit some candles and sat and drew a picture <laughs> which sounds kind of <laughs> kind of lame but that's what I did and it was just you know because they they definitely make it feel like we're all in it together you know it was to do with showing um that we don't need to use the coal reserves and stuff like that and it really feels like they are for the people rather than just mm. being a, an energy company. Because I've had some bad experiences with energy companies. And I think I'm not going to be the only person that will say that. Um, and I think, yeah, even them just being a little bit kinder, having that branding and those USPs and that tone of voice can make a huge difference for sure. Yeah, I think the lessons are don't be afraid to be totally different. Because if they were just trying to compete as another generic insurance company, it'd be so different, wouldn't it? Whereas I would, I would like happily throw PPC at this all day, every day. I bet this out converts almost anything else. You know, the really? reviews, everything about it in a space that is completely generic, in a space that's so difficult, like no one's standing up. They are legitimately standing up. Exactly the same with Octopus. Um, yes. And that's super interesting. I think the other thing it illustrates is the importance of good design. Design mm -hmm. is such a shortcut. It's such a, a brain hack for humans, isn't it? We look at design and we immediately assume credibility, trustworthiness. Like we're all so fickle and so uh, judgmental based on appearance. We all are. Don't judge a book by its covers. Literally every one yeah. of us judges. Not only it's books, we judge people. We judge absolutely everything by its appearance, including insurance companies and yes. the fact that they've got a really nice website just like octopus the fact octopus basically got a really nice website a good ui and they've managed to yeah. build themselves a completely different position to everyone else in the market to the extent where they're buying up all these other energy companies that are going bust because yeah. octopus has great design this like, is a thing wow <laughs> what a and i think the last thing to mention on that and i think this is something we're very passionate about with ourselves at exposure ninja is both these companies um octopus and um lemonade feel very transparent and it feels like they are bringing us to their level and helping us understand what we're actually paying for it's like you have to pay for this thing you know you have to have car insurance you have to have energy to your house we're going to make sure that you get it and that you understand what you're paying for why we're really going to communicate with you and be really transparent and i think that's just so important like i think a lot of these if you're in an industry where historically it's very much been a them and us. We are the knowledgeable people and that's why you should pay us. Actually, I don't think that's the way forward anymore. And I think people do want you to be brought, you know, do want to connect with you on a different level. I think that's really important. Yeah. Great example, Jess. Love that one. Never seen him before. Love it.
I haven't absolutely loved them. I want to have a chat with their marketing team and be like, please tell me all your things. I want to hear everything. Tell me, <laughs> tell me all your stories. <laughs> they made two very good decisions, right? Brand, whoever, whoever they chose to design that brand. And then someone said, had the guts to say, yes, let's go with that positioning you've suggested. Let's be bold. Yeah. Let's set our tone of voice. And then everything else flows from that. Genius. Really fun. Really, really liked it. So Tim, we've obviously covered quite a few lessons in what we've discussed today, but what is your biggest, most important marketing lesson of the week? Okay. So my lesson of the week is an oldie, but a goodie, um, as they often are. There's not very much new going on in marketing, really, if we're honest. <laughs> um, we've been running Fix Your Machine. So Fix Your Machine, for those who don't know, is a service where we basically tune up uh, a company's website, branding, visuals, basically all the stuff we've just been talking about, weirdly. Um, and we get it so that they are in a position to be converting their traffic better. Because that's how you sort of grow and how you scale and make it more profitable. So we've been doing some of these and we've been working through the, the first sort of intake that we had of Fix Your Machine clients. And it has been such an incredible experience. We've worked with some amazing businesses so far. And everyone that I've personally worked with, because I've been doing some of these personally as well, as a way of sort of, um, you know, just checking that I'm not getting too rusty. Still got it, Tim. Um, <laughs> And that's been great fun. Everyone that I've been working with, I've been reminded that it's so important to be confident to sell what you've got. Okay. Um, so I'll give you a couple of examples. Businesses who are small, they tend to be self-conscious about the fact that they're small and they think, oh, we need to appear big. If we're going to be credible, we need to appear big. We need to try and make ourselves what we're not. Meanwhile, businesses that are big are thinking, oh, well, you know, we, we just got a bit big, we're a bit baggy, we, we can't connect, we can't pivot as quickly with customers as we could do when we were small. So we need to try and appear small and friendly and you know all of that. And everyone's sort of looking at everyone else thinking, oh, if only we were that, if only we were that. And it's totally wrong. It's totally wrong. So one of the one of my favorite uh, examples of this was a business that we've been working with on Fiction Machine. They sell custom PCs. So people who are having gaming PCs built, and these might be a few thousand. So it's a significant purchase for people and they spend a lot of time researching and thinking about this. And they're a pretty small firm. And they've, on their website, you can tell they're small, but they don't really push into that. Okay, you can tell they're small because the website's 10 years old and looks every day 10 years old. So they're, they're, you know, they're having their lunch every day stolen by these bigger firms with loads more budget, much slicker, much better, you know, you've got all your building your PC tools in there and stuff. And meanwhile, this business has been almost totally left behind. And what they're worried about is how do we compete with these big players because we're small. Whereas actually, when you talk to them, you realize one of the things that they do, which their competitors will never be able to do, is they're happy to talk to their customers sometimes for literally hours on the phone to make sure they get the best PC for them. So they will sell them the right components. They won't oversell them if you don't need an i9 because the i5 is perfectly good enough for the setup that you need and you can save money. Then they will sell you the i5. They won't sell you the best stuff for the sake of it. They won't sell you the best stuff because they've got a quota to fill from the manufacturer where they need to sell that stuff. So they'll be honest and they'll sell you the best thing for you based on your requirements. And that's something their competitors cannot say because their competitors have vast sales teams. 
who are you know incentivized and targeted and don't really have any relationship the smaller firm does not have a sales team they have pc builders so you're talking to someone who might be building your pc and so obviously the positioning for that business should be around the people in it it should be right we're small and we're an elite team and we build the pcs and you can phone us and you can talk to us because that gives them a genuine competitive advantage against these larger more faceless brands where you don't really you can't really trust that what you're getting is the right thing for you um so it reminds me of a i remember listening to an old dan kennedy seminar around this idea of sell what you've got and he did a lot of work in chiropractic so in America, where Dan lives, and where lots of people live, actually, um, <laughs> chiropractic marketing is quite a big thing. And there are two types of chiropractic marketing professionals, if you like. There are the ones who are ex-chiropractors, and they say to all the other chiropractors, I'm just like you. I used to be a chiropractor, and now I help other chiropractors with their marketing, and you should listen to me because... I speak your language, I'm an ex-chiropractor. And the chiropractor will go, yeah, yeah, that sounds logical. And then you've got the other type of marketing professional that comes from the outside world. So they are a marketer and they chose to specialize in chiropractic. And they say, um, you should listen to us because we came with all this information from the outside world. We've seen what works across loads of different industries and we've specialized to help chiropractors specifically so rather than just copying each other and just doing the same thing as every chiropractor does we bring a whole range of specializations and skills and experience to this industry specifically and they're both right right they both sell what they've got they take the position that they've got with confidence and they find a compelling way to explain that story and it's exactly the same whether you're small whether you're large whether you're you know we were, we've been remote for 10 years and there was probably eight of those years where this was not considered an advantage. This was not considered a benefit. It was something to be embarrassed about. But we said, you know, we hire the best people, not the best people within a two mile radius of one arbitrary postcode, which means we've got better staff, right? Cool. We found a way to sell what we've got. Whereas if you're in an office, obviously you're selling what you've got. You're selling, we've got loads of collaboration and we're all meeting and talking and we've got great relationships between our people, all that stuff. Right? So you sell what you've got, whatever your business has got, you just figure out a way of selling it. So I think there's like a lesson about digging for the gold in your current situation. And there's also a lesson about the power of confidence and just saying, you know what, everyone's looking at their competitors and thinking, oh, if only we were a bit more like them, we'd be so much better. Whereas actually, just be where you are and freaking sell it. Yeah, so I completely agree. Well. I think that's a really great lesson. I have to say as well, I was actually um, took part in a focus group um, internally for that PC building custom PC business. And I was kind of like, yeah, it's okay. Like didn't really feel much affinity for it. And then when Tim told me, oh, they, they really talk to their customers and, you know, they, they spend hours talking to them and they won't oversell stuff they'll give you I felt so much more affinity for them and I'm like I really want to see them win you know and I think it's really interesting how just taking that little element of we spent hours helping you out really made me feel more invested in the in the business and see them as, as a lot different from their competitors rather than just the same thing again and so it's it's really amazing these little things that you might think um aren't important because you're not seeing your competitors shout about them might actually be hugely, hugely important to your customers. Cause I'm their exact target demographic. And the fact that it made me feel reassured, you know, I thought was, was awesome. So yeah, 
you need to step back and look at things from like a bird's eye view look at your business and see what is there in here what gold is there here like tim said that sets us apart and that we thought was a was a weakness but it's actually a strength yeah really awesome awesome lesson jess you have a marketing fail question mark of the week also kind of a win yeah so this one was really interesting it was actually dale who shared this um in our work sort of water cooler our, our shouting hall where we can you know, shout into the void and let people know interesting things that we've <laughs> shout seen. <into> the void. <laughs> it's not often into the void i shared lemonade in there because i thought it was a really cool website and obviously dale shared um this advertising campaign by flora who are a um spread company in the uk i don't really know how to describe them but you know they sell um margarine is that the word they yeah margarine yeah, margarine. Like yeah. The synthetic butter whatever the yes. word is for that in your yes, your yes. location exactly exactly um and they are a very very well-known company they've been known for like as long as i've been alive i've known about flora um and what's been really really interesting is they have done a plant-based range and they're sort of jumping into that plant-based space and advertising them like that um, and they did a advertising campaign which focused a lot on sort of why you eat it, why are you eating some of what came from a cow, essentially, you know, and was very focused on that point. And what I noticed in the comments on Twitter and from other ninjas with an exposure ninja was why are they talking badly about cow butter when they also sell cow butter? What's very interesting is that they don't sell cow butter. They sell one product that has buttermilk in but the rest of their products are also vegan. So it created this really interesting debate about how it wasn't even that they're talking badly of their other products. People didn't even know that their products were vegan in the first place because they've almost created a whole new brand to be vegan, even though their products are already vegan. Now, I would argue that the new products are meant to be butter blocks, which they don't sell um, as like in their normal range. So it is a new thing, but enough people got confused and went to this space of, but don't they sell cow related products? Why are they talking badly about it? That it shows that they didn't really, it's not they didn't really understand their audience, but it it's just really interesting. It's really interesting how they've kind of, they're at war with themselves, and mm. but also they're not. And people all think that they're not a vegan brand when they always have been. And it's just a whole mess. That's why I put it in as a fail. Even though people are talking very highly of the adverts, it's this discussion that of people not realizing they've always been vegan and how they're... Yeah. Anyway, Tim, thoughts? My brain went blank because I said many words. And I think the <laughs> conflict between the flora and the flora plant-based has just done me in. <laughs> Yeah, so I I saw it when you shared it, and it's it, they are they're cool ads, right? And they they make a lot of sense because it's like uh, we don't need our vegetables, we don't need our grass to go through a, a cow's stomach before we make spread out of it. So you know, here's flora plant based, and a plant based is better. And as soon as I see flora plant based, I assume all other flora is non plant based, right? Which I think is yes. a fairly natural conclusion to come to. So I didn't know. I don't understand why they didn't just say flora is plant-based. I know that yeah. some of it isn't, but like, yeah, isn't it worth just, if, if that's the space that you're going after, can't you just say, you know, did you know that flora is plant-based? And then you don't, and then it doesn't feel like you're carving your brand into two and just 
sort of pitching them against each other it just felt really weird it It felt like a brand conflicting with itself for absolutely no reason yeah and something that I thought was really interesting is I remember seeing tv ads maybe sometime last year where they were promoting that their products have always been vegan and that they've always been plant-based so I part of me wonders if they ran that campaign got data from it that showed that people still weren't making that connection and just thought you know what we'll just start a new brand and like I said the products are different but it's just so confusing and maybe it is just they knew that if they released a plant-based butter under the normal flora branding that people wouldn't see it as plant-based and would see it on the shelves and be like that is just that's got milk in it so Mm. it's just this really I want to get in their office and be like what happened tell me what is going on show me your customer data what's the sentiment what is happening because I'm just so intrigued that's what happened and actually Dale did input um, on the live stream now and say their flora butterly never used to have dairy they added it after releasing their plant-based brand which is yeah we see that quite often Cadbury's did it as well they their um Bourneville chocolate never had milk in and then when they released their um vegan chocolate they added milk into Bourneville so that yeah we call it the the vegan pound (laughs) Uh so right let me get this straight so flora releases ads saying that it's really weird for spreads to be animal based and then they add animal product to a historically plant-based product you see why i put it in as a fail yeah because even though the ads are nicely designed and they have really good sentiment it's one of those where i'm like yeah not from you though it's not a nice sentiment from you is it really it's like with the uh, almost our principle I don't eat the vegan Cadbury's chocolate unless I find it on sale in the pound shop because I'm like you're charging me double for I could have just eaten the Bourneville like I always used to there is no good quality chocolate in this world that contains dairy the only type of chocolate that anyone should be eating is 100% anyway I will leave it there I will die on that hill. <laughs> the controversy, the controversy, the, ch- the great chocolate debate. But um, yeah, I just thought that was, like I said, really, really interesting to see so many people um, celebrating the design and the messaging in the adverts to then see also so many consumers saying, I don't get this because you aren't plant-based or yeah, saying, why are you dissing this kind of product when you sell it? They don't actually sell that product or they didn't. And now they do just so they can charge more for their plant-based option yeah crazy <laughs> so, yeah. crazy focus groups where are you where are you at yes yeah tell us all all your your secrets about how you feel about flora's products and whether they are vegan or not indeed um just a couple of things before we break up if you are an exposure ninja email subscriber keep an eye on your email inboxes over the next couple of weeks because we've got quite a lot of Uh, live trainings that we're going to be releasing. We're going to be releasing one all about email marketing and the different automations that your business needs to have set up. Uh, We've got another one coming along about Microsoft ads. And then a third one, I know, (laughs) there's even more. There's another (laughs) one which is going to be all about um, SEO, on-site SEO, uh, which we're going to be uh, releasing. And then finally, we're going to be, for the first time ever, talking about the process that we use to sell and promote books as a way of leveraging authority and credibility. So if you're not an Exposure Ninja email subscriber, this is a a terrible 
um, horrible a miscarriage of justice, you must immediately go to ExposureNinja.com and throw your email address into any pop-up that you can possibly find. There's many. There's many, many pop-ups and spaces. I'm pretty sure if you scroll to the bottom of the page, on the homepage, you can sign up to our email list or pretty much every single blog will be like, do you want to sign up for emails? Do it, please. Yes. So yeah, please do. We put out yep. a lot of good stuff and it's never spam and we're never trying to be like, buy this thing or we've got a discount. No, it's never that. It's always like useful information or telling you about a new podcast, a new video, things that will actually help you rather than just trying to be like, buy our thing. I recently signed up to a mailing list and was really shocked that nearly every single email I was getting from them was just about discounts off their software. It was actually, and also the titles were very misleading, making me think I was going to learn something. And then all that happened was they told me I was getting like 50% off and I was like, don't want it, thank you. And actually unsubscribed. And it's a tool that I use quite frequently. So it was quite a shame to, and that I had affinity for. And now I'm like, I don't like you because you're just only trying to sell me stuff. I thought I was going to get insights. Anyway, rant over. I am. Don't get, <laughs> don't get on the wrong side of Gen Z's. That's my lesson no. there. No, no, no. Well, actually, I'm actually a millennial. Are you, Jess? You know. I, we don't need to tell your, your TikTok usage habits would definitely, I mean, you're like the, yes. you're, maybe you're the interface. You're the interface. I self-identify as a millennial because I don't quite fit the millennial <laughs> hogs. But anyway, um, Dale very kindly asked in the comments, where can I learn more about Fix Your Machine, which you've mentioned a couple of times during this live stream. Tim. Yes, exposure.ninja forward slash machine there you exposure go exposure dot ninja forward slash machine that's not exposure ninja.com forward slash machine it's exposure dot ninja forward slash machine yes sorry if you heard one of my chinchillas bark apologies for that one apologies for the interruption they have that i need slice. to apologize jess today we have also learned that chinchillas bark they do so if anybody heard that apologies for that one they haven't really done much of that yet so yeah <laughs> There we go. We're anyway. all learning every day. <laughs> Very educational podcast over here. Not always educational about marketing, but always educational. But yes. Fix Your Machine, very, very fantastic initiative that um, the team have come up with. Absolutely loving hearing um, everything that's coming out of it, the results that are already coming through. And yeah, it's just really nice. It's just... I can't wait to share the stories. There's some, yeah. some businesses with such fantastic potential and they just need someone to, you know, grip them and say right this is what you're pitching this is where you're pitching it this is how we're doing it blah 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 go um yeah, yeah I'm, I'm really loving this it's completely great. if great. you think it's not for you because of your business type we've had some really interesting and unique businesses come through who um who fit the program really really well um so you may just, just have a look sign up see see where it goes yes exposure.ninja forward slash machine there's a webinar which explains it all and gives a bit of info on who's it for who's it not for because it isn't yes. for everyone no it's not for everyone make sure you watch the webinar before um signing up for a call else you'll end up in a call very confused <laughs> so definitely yep. watch the webinar um, and find out who it's for if you don't want to watch the whole webinar i recommend you do but it is an hour and a half long just go to the last um half an hour and that'll explain who it's for and who it isn't so, yeah, yeah. I'll be gutted if you don't watch the whole thing. I'll no, no, I'll go watch. and check and then start at the beginning and watch the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> this can be so cool. Right. <laughs> right, let's wrap this. Thanks, Jess. Good to see you. Thanks for having me on. Talk to you next week. In a bit. Bye.